Today's scripture reading is going to come out of the Gospel of John. We'll be in the third chapter together today. And I'm going to read verses 26 through 30 with you. So I invite you to follow along. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, you can find a pew Bible there in front of you. And there's a page number on the screen that will tell you. Wait, there's not. Never mind. There's not a page number. Wait, it is there. It's small. It's, I'm looking at this screen. It's so small. You can see. I ruined our holy moment. I'm sorry. Okay. Chapter 3 of the Gospel of John, picking up in verse 26. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Now the they that went to John are John's disciples, and the one that John talked about was Jesus. So that's the situation. To this John replied, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. I must become greater. uh, He must become greater and I must become less. It's the reading of God's word. You may have a seat. We do have kingdom kids today. So our kingdom kids workers and all of those who are four years old through second grade can come right on over here for Kingdom Kids. And then just remember to pick them up after church today, okay? They'll be right next door in the metal building, the two-story metal building. You can head back that way and take the ramp. And they'll be upstairs having a great time learning and worshiping at their level. Uh, Before we dive into uh, the story today, just want to give you another reminder that on Sundays, most Sundays, I will be sharing with you something we read during our weekly Bible reading plan. And so if you have not gotten on the plan yet and you would like to, we do have copies in the back and it looks like this and it has some information there about um, how to journal and do uh, prayer cards and then you get into the reading plan and it's got little boxes you can check so you can track where you're at. If you're just jumping in, what I encourage you to do is tomorrow read tomorrow's plan, and then as you have time, get caught up. Uh, This is a a five-day-a-week plan versus last year was a a seven-day-a-week plan. So you have Saturdays and Sundays to do just that. If you miss anything, you get caught up. Um, But one of the things you can also do is to work on uh, Scripture memory, Scripture meditation, and, and study of Scripture. So when you get to Saturday and Sunday, you may have read something during the week and you may say, hey, I'd like to, I would like to spend some more time studying that, but you know, I got to get the kids off to school or I got to get to work or whatever is going on in your life. And maybe you don't have a lot of time to do a lot of deep study in that moment. And then Saturday morning rolls around and you've maybe starred that passage in scripture and now you're going to go back to it and study it. I've mentioned the study Bibles before. We do have more. I've got a couple on the table. If you need a good study Bible, it'll have notes that you can study underneath the scripture. Okay, but another thing you can use Saturdays and Sundays for is as you're reading your scriptures during the week, you may find a passage or or a verse or two that really strikes you. And you think, man, that is a powerful verse of scripture or a couple verses. I would really like to memorize scripture. So we want to study scripture. We want to meditate on scripture, which is to think deeply about it. But we also want to memorize scripture. 
And so this week, the scripture that came to my mind that I wanted to memorize was John 3, chapter 3, verse 30. And it's the scripture that I read at the end of our reading today. It's also the scripture I messed up, which is kind of ironic that that was the scripture I'm trying to memorize and I messed it up. But it's the words of John the Baptist where he says, he must become greater, I must become less. That's a great memory verse to, to uh, memorize, not only for you adults, but students and kiddos, because it's pretty short, they can memorize it. And parents, if you're working with your with your children or grandparents, if you're working with your grandchildren, you know, they don't know, you don't always have to memorize a whole verse. It can be just a little section of a verse. And a lot of our Sunday school classes with the kiddos, they do a great job of helping them memorize portions of God's word. You know, you got to tailor it to their level. They're not going to be able to get a, a whole chapter or something like that, but they can get a few words or they can get a sentence or two. So this is a great verse to memorize. So I just, each week, I want to remind you of one of the things you can do in addition to the scripture reading to help your walk with the Lord. And so today I just want to a little bit about scripture memory. Uh, you can take cards, index cards, right on the front, the address, which in this case, the scripture I'm working on, John 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 30, right? Uh, that's the address. And on the back, you can write the actual uh, scripture verse. And so, remember, again, he must become greater, I must become less. And so, take that and incorporate that into your life with God as you read scripture look for those verses you want to memorize in your scripture reading and then work Saturday and Sunday on memorizing them by using index cards okay enough of that I hope that's helpful to you but uh, well there's more I could say I'm not going to go into there are scripture reading plans and journals for kids check that out as well okay uh, but today's passage does come from our reading this week and you have been reading a lot about a guy named John and before I talk more about John, I just want to pause together and let's pray. And then we'll take a look at what we can learn from the life of John. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much uh, for your word and how it speaks to us, how it challenges us, how it encourages us. It is, it is the right thing in all seasons of life to turn to scripture and to look for truth from you. Because you stand as the author behind scripture. And for that, we are so grateful. And I pray that your word would speak to us today, that our minds would be attentive to what you have to say, that our hearts would be receptive to your instruction or encouragement to us, and then our hands and feet would be ready to take what we learn today and go out and live it in our life as we leave from this place. In this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, you've been reading a lot about a guy named John. And uh, when I was going to school in Corpus, I went to, did my master's stuff over there at a Christian college. And when I was there, I would hear about uh, a church named after John. And it would get a little confusing because there was actually more than one. There was St. John's Baptist Church, and then there was John the Baptist Catholic Church, which really kind of cracked me up. It was like, hey, we, I kind of felt like that, that's like, that's partly ours, right? Like we get to claim a part of that, maybe just a little bit. And so it got a little confusing, but they're, they're, they were actually named after two different Johns. And I want to mention that because to clear up any confusion on our part about who we're reading about here, it's because we're reading about John from the Gospel of John, but those, like the two churches in Corpus, are two different Johns, right? One John is John the Apostle, one of the 12 disciples. And he's the one that wrote the Gospel of John, as well as 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which are called epistles. They were letters to the church. And he also wrote Revelation, which is, of course, the last 
uh, book of the Bible. So that's Saint, that's a Saint John from Saint John Baptist Church. That's the one that they're talking about. All right. But John the Baptist is who we're reading about today. And you actually read a good bit about him and you're not done reading about him. As you go through the reading plan, you're actually going to read more about John the Baptist. And in Luke, John the Baptist, his, his birth is foretold and predicted much like Jesus's. It's, it's a miraculous birth, not because um, the Holy Spirit is the one that brought that birth into being like it was with Jesus. But it's, it's a miraculous birth because it's happening to two uh, individuals uh, that Sarah and Zechariah, that they thought they were never going to have a baby. And God says, no, you are going to have a child. This is going to be a miraculous child. And this child is going to have an important role to play in announcing the birth of, or, or, or in announcing the coming kingdom of which Jesus is king. And so you have this incredible beginning to John's life. And then we don't really hear much, kind of like Jesus, we don't really hear much about John, his early life, his childhood or anything like that, until, until we see him showing up on the scene uh, doing ministry. And when you see John showing up in the scriptures... It's pretty interesting. He, he is sent by God for a particular task to announce the, that Jesus, the Savior of the world, has been born. And here he is. But he doesn't come, you know, wearing a three-piece suit or whatever they make, whatever the equivalent might be, a robe and a sash. I don't know. But they weren't, you know, he wasn't, you know, uh, impressive in that way. He's this interesting guy that exists. He lives out in the wilderness and in John, uh, or excuse me, in Matthew and in Mark, early on in their Gospels, they're telling, they're describing John. And they say, uh, Matthew chapter 3, verses 4 and 6, it says, John's clothes were made of camel's hair. Which, that sounds really uncomfortable to me. I've never owned anything made out of camel's hair. Uh, and that's probably for a reason, right? Um, so, he's wearing camel's hair. He has a leather belt around his waist. Uh, his food, he ate locusts. And wild honey, which may, I don't know, that may be a delicacy in some places, but uh, crickets and honey. I mean, I, I like the honey part, but the crickets part, not crazy about, but that's what he ate. And people were coming, they were leaving Jerusalem and coming out to the wilderness where he was along the Jordan River to be baptized. They're coming out and they're hearing him preach, they're confessing their sin, and they're being baptized and that story is uh, told a couple times in different Gospels in Matthew 3 and in Mark 1. And so when he comes and when we, when we first read about his ministry, he is quite an interesting character. You kind of, you, you just, you're in awe of this figure and who he is and what he's going to do. And, and the end of his life is just as interesting as the beginning of his life. Uh, John is actually, and by interesting I don't mean like it was great. I mean interesting like... It's an interesting story about how a guy got beheaded. So it's not a happy ending to John's life in that way. He's actually beheaded. And why? Because John, being a man of, of character and truth, he spoke out against uh, the king who was kind of over that area. The king, his name was Herod. He had married his, uh, his brother's wife. Um, and you weren't supposed to do that. And John pointed that out. And Herod was upset about it, as you would imagine. But Herod had this take on John that John's out there, he's baptizing people. All these people are going out to him, out into the wilderness to be baptized in the Jordan River. 
you know, he, he's, he's kind of in awe of John, just like we stand in awe of John when we read about him. He's like, this is quite an interesting person. Um, and he had had him imprisoned because he was speaking out against him. So he did that, but he didn't want to necessarily kill him, even though Herod was speaking out against his marriage to his brother's wife. He, he found him to be a godly man. Herod thought a lot about him, but he knew that this was problematic because his wife, whose name was Herodias, uh, his wife is not happy about the situation and he wants, she wants John to take him out or, or she wants Herod to take John out and, uh, and Herod won't do it. Another reason Herod won't do it is because everybody in the area also knew John to be quite a, an amazing person. And they were like, we think this guy's a prophet. Now that would have been a really big deal to think John was a prophet and that a lot of people thought John was a prophet because they had not had a prophet in like hundreds of years Something like 400 plus years. They had not had a prophet that God would send to speak forth the words of God to his people. And so for a lot of people to start to say, we think God sent one, would have been a big deal. And so Herod's like, I don't really want to take this guy out. I want, you know, he's in jail. You know, he's, we've already got him locked up, but that's as far as he seemed to have wanted to go. But not his wife, Herodias. She, she found a way to get her husband to do what she wanted him to do that he didn't want to do. I, I don't know. I, has that happened to you before, guys? I don't know. If you're married, maybe, perhaps. Uh, but I don't recommend her tactics. It was actually pretty kind of gross. He, she got her daughter to dance for him and their entire, uh, it was like a big like business meeting, okay? They got a bunch, bunch of leaders from other places, and they got together for a festival. And she had her daughter go and dance with her, and she was so good at the dancing that King Herod just kind of probably, he probably had a few cups of wine, most likely. And he just blurts out, you know, like, hey, this is great. Whatever you want, I, I swear an oath, I will give that to you. You're doing such a great job. That's what I'll do for you. Now... Herodias kind of already had in mind that that's what would happen. And so she told her daughter, when he says that, here's what I want you to do. I want you to say, well, then what I want is the head of John the Baptist on a platter, literally on a platter. Now, we would think of that today and we just say, well, you just go back and you say, well, you know, come on, be reasonable. I was thinking like, you know, a golden nugget or something, you know, like something, you know, tiara. I don't know. But but not that. But we live in a slightly different world today, obviously. Um, and to make an oath in front of people, you, especially other leaders, especially other people of whom, you know, high standing, you didn't just go back on your word. And so, so it put Herod in this very tough position and he gave in. And he ordered for John the Baptist to be beheaded and for his head to be brought in on a platter. So, so John the Baptist has an incredible start and quite an incredible finish. But what happens in the middle of his life that we're reading about? What takes place there that makes him, uh, what Jesus says of him, is that John the Baptist was the greatest man to have ever been born of woman. Why would he say that about this guy? Yeah, he's out in the wilderness. He's obviously a good preacher. A lot of people are getting baptized. He was a man of character. He's willing to call out um, immorality uh, with... King Herod and, and his wife, you know, but 
other people had done that. Why, why that uh, significant of a view that Jesus would have of John the Baptist, that he would be called the greatest man to have ever been born of woman? What happens in the middle of his life, I think, is, is quite powerful. And where we're going to go with this, what we're going to see at the end of this in John chapter 3, is that John is such a man of character that even in the midst of uh, what we would feel anyone, I think, would experience some jealousy about, that his disciples are abandoning him and going to Jesus and becoming Jesus' disciples, even then, he does not allow jealousy to steal his joy. So... That's where we're going to go. And I want you to think about that for a minute before we walk through John's life to see who he was and some of the things he did. Because that's really what I hope God might encourage us with today. God might do a lot of things, and I hope he does with his word, as he often does. But one of the things is is that he might help us find a way to deal with an uncomfortable thing that we may not want to talk a lot about, which is feeling jealous. And, And yet it's something that's common to us as humans, isn't it? We all have jealous feelings. We all see people who have more than we do materially, and we wish we had what they have. We see people who may be doing better at work, and we wish that we had that same advancement opportunities or accolades. Right? We see someone in their personal life, and, and they have lots of friends, and maybe, maybe you're not married and they're married, maybe you don't have kids, but they have kids, and you see what they have, and you feel jealous. Or you're in the midst of work life, and it's busy and hectic, and you've got friends who are retired, and you just say, I wish I was retired. Or you don't have grandkids, but you want grandkids. Or you see in your friends, or you meet someone who does, and you say, man, I wish I, wish I had grandkids. There's no end to the list of things we can be jealous about, right? Someone's taller than us, someone's skinnier than us, someone's you know, bulkier than us, someone's prettier than us, they have better hair, better skin. I mean, there's just no end to the list of things we can feel jealous about. And it, as I was thinking about that, I was like, I remember, there's so many stories I could share. But, but one that really stood out, as, as it often does, is high school football. That's where it always, you know, my mind goes there a lot. And I had a friend who was six foot eight, 300 plus pounds. Big guy, he got recruited all over the nation. He ended up going to UCLA. And he got all this attention, and I was so jealous of that. Because I thought, I'm just as good, if not better, I'm just shorter. That's the only, that was the only difference. Uh, I don't know if that was actually true or not, because I got zero recruitment. But, uh, but I remember that feeling, it was so intense. And unfortunately, that's not the only time I've ever had that feeling. So who is John the Baptist that he could get to the point in his life where his ministry is fading, his disciples are leaving him to follow Jesus, and he shows zero jealousy? That's where we're going to go. But let's talk a little bit about this man so that we can get a little background on him, so that we can understand how he could respond the way he does to the situation that we read about in John chapter 3. First of all, he did have a significant ministry. We've read about it. Even the king knew who he was and the things he was doing outside of Jerusalem in the wilderness. So if you've got the king's attention, you are doing something significant. And John was. In fact, John was uh, one that is the one that baptized Jesus. Just imagine putting that on your resume. I got the king's attention and I baptized the son of God. I mean, that's pretty Impressive, right? Some saw John and said, this guy is so amazing. It's like, 
It's almost like he's the greatest prophet that we've ever had come back. The greatest prophet the Jewish people ever had was a guy named Elijah. And they, there was a belief that Elijah would come back before the Messiah showed up on the scene. And so they're thinking John's that guy. John is, uh, and in fact, I don't know how much his parents spoke of this, but John's parents were told by an angel that, in, that, John, that John would be born and have in him the spirit and power of Elijah. Luke chapter 1 verse 17. His parents said that of him. Jesus himself would tell his disciples that, yes, in fact, John is the one that comes in the spirit and power of Elijah. Matthew eleven fourteen. 14. So he's got the king's attention. He's baptized Jesus. He's put in the same category as the greatest prophet that the Old Testament has ever had in Elijah. And then again, as I said earlier, Jesus says of him, he's the greatest one of man who's ever been born of woman. High praise from what we know now. How much of that they knew then? Probably not to the full extent that we know now. But that coming from the lips of God in the flesh. The Old Testament uh, prophetic word about him was spoken in every gospel account. Either Malachi 3.1 or Isaiah 4.3. Something along the lines of this guy is like one Calling in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord, making straight paths for him. That reference uh, is quoted throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's Isaiah 40, verse 3. It's coupled with Malachi, verse 3, or, or uh, yeah, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. It's coupled there in Mark as well. They link them together. And in that prophetic word about John, we read that there is one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you and will prepare a way for you. So now now what we're learning about John as well is that there's Old Testament prophecy about your birth and about your ministry and about what you're going to do. I mean, the resume is just stacking up. And, and with a resume like that, I think, I think it would be perhaps hard to say, uh, or it would be hard to have a level head. I think, you know, I read that and I think, yeah, I would have, I'd be pretty puffed up. If that was me, if you could say all those things about me, I, I would be probably pretty proud of that. And not in a good kind of pride way, but in a bad kind of look at me compared to all these other people kind of way. And so when you think about that, that's who, that's who John the Baptist was. And then you have this situation that arises and makes it even more incredible that he responds the way that he responds. So in the situation, John chapter 3, uh, we read from John's disciples, there's a skirmish with some of the Jewish people about ceremonial washing, which had to do with entering into a, a new religion. They would have that as part of it. And, uh, and they're having this, you know, John's out there baptizing. They're having this conversation about it. It turns into a bit of an argument. And then somewhere gets mixed in there this uh, realization that, hey, we're over here dealing with, we're doing our thing over here. But look over there. And that's where jealousy starts, right? Look over there. I get my eyes off of God. I get my eyes off what he's got me into. I look over there. And what I see, what they saw over there was Jesus. And, and Jesus is baptizing 
more people. And Jesus is receiving John's disciples. In fact, you know, if you read, if you, may, you may have covered this already, but as we're reading through, we'll find out that a lot of Jesus' disciples were first John's disciples that began to follow Jesus. And so John's disciples, those who are remaining faithful, they do feel that jealousy. They see what's going on and they're experiencing it. That, that kind of intense emotion and desire. And they're feeling it on behalf of John. And so they're, maybe that's mixed up in them. Maybe they're thinking, you know, we're following this guy. We want him to be the most important person around. And now it looks like he's not. We got to do something about that. Or maybe they really were just concerned about John and just saying John's a great man. We want him to be, you know, at the top here. We want people talking about him and following him. And and we love him so much, we we need to bring this concern to him. I'm not sure what their motivation was because the scripture doesn't speak to it. But you definitely see that they have this sense of jealousy and they bring it to John. And they say to him, Rabbi, and that's a, a term for a teacher. Uh, it wasn't like an official term in Jesus' day, so you really could apply it to anyone who, who even didn't have rabbinic training. Uh, if they were a teacher of God's law, you could refer to him that way, and so they refer to him that way. just means teacher. That man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, that man being Jesus, the one you testified about because John had been saying, this Jesus guy, this Jesus guy, He's the Messiah. This guy is the Lamb of God who's come into the world to take away the sins of the world. He's been saying, this is the Son of God. These are the things that John had been saying about him. He had been testifying. As soon as Jesus showed up on the scene, John is pointing to Jesus. He says, this guy that you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. And everyone, of course, is probably a little bit of hyperbole. You know, surely not everyone. They're there. Right? So it can't be everyone. But it feels that way. That's one of the things jealousy does. And I, this just came to mind, to be honest with you. I didn't put this in my notes. But that is something jealousy does. Is, is it, it magnifies someone else's situation while diminishing your own. And so they're experiencing that. Everyone. Surely not everyone. They're there. But that's what it feels like. Right? Now this is the incredible part. It's how John responds to this. And put your place, put yourself in the place of John if you can for a moment. Remember that resume. Remember all those incredible things that, that were said about you from birth up till now. Before you even left your mother's womb. The angels are talking about you. And, and now here you are. And, you, and, and what, what it might have felt like to know, okay, this might be it for me. Everybody's going to Jesus. My ministry's on the downhill slope. The sun is fading here. And how does he respond? This is, this is an incredible thing. He says, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. Now, when he says heaven, uh, that is another way of referring to God. Because where heaven is is where God is. And wherever God goes, that's where heaven is. And so heaven and God are the, basically uh, the same way of referring to God. You use them interchangeably. And so when he says heaven, he's referring to God. So he says, a person can only receive what God has given them. Now John's disciples are focused on what they're losing. And John's saying to them, you're not paying attention to what God has given us. You're looking at what others have. You're looking at what God gave them. 
But you're not looking at what God gave you. And so the thief of our joy can be jealousy. If you want to lose joy in your life, one of the quickest ways to do it is compare yourself to other people. It is absolutely one of the fastest ways to lose joy is just to scroll through Instagram and see how everybody else's life is great. And it's not that great, by the way. You know that, right? Like they're just, that's just the filtered version of their life. You know that, right? But that's not what our emotions tell us. Our emotions tell us everybody's doing better than me. Everybody's doing great. I'm failing. Look at, look at my lot in life. That's how John's disciples saw it, but that is not how John saw it. John said, look, this is what God has given us to do. God gave them something different. God gave Jesus a different ministry than God has given us. I think that's a really powerful uh, testimony we get from the life of John is, is he knew what his assignment was. And he knew what his assignment was not. First John, or in John chapter 1 verse 20, one of the first things John tells people is, look, I'm not the Messiah. But John will quote about himself that Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3 verse, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John knew who he was and he knew who he was not. And he saw that who he was and what he was to do in life And who he wasn't and what he wasn't to do in life is given to him by God. Is it possible that where you are in life, and I'm not talking about, you know, maybe you're jealous of somebody because they seem to have a deeper relationship with God. I'm not talking about the good bits. I'm talking about some of the superficial things we get jealous about. Sometimes it's good to say, look, look at them, that let them model life for you. I, I want to be able to parent my kids like them. Let me learn how. Let me be discipled. I'm not talking about the, the good ways in which we can see someone else's life and value the way that they're living and want to emulate them. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about kind of the superficial stuff. The stuff that honestly, if, if we're honest, you know, crops up in our hearts. Right? What if you saw... Your position in life, who you are, and what God has given you is just that. This is what God has for me. God's got something else for them. John had no problem saying, I'm the one in the voice. I'm the, I'm the voice in the wilderness preparing the path, and I'm preparing the path for Jesus. He's got a different ministry than I have. There's something in that that I think we can learn We can only receive what is given us from heaven or God. So your height, your natural abilities, maybe even the season of life you're in. Maybe you are where you're at and are who you are by God's good plan. And instead of looking at what other people have and who they are and getting jealous about that and letting that steal your joy, you can say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for who you have made me to be. Thank you, God, for this walk in life that you have placed me on. 
The second thing I think, there's three things, by the way, I should have mentioned that earlier. There's three things that I think we learn from this section of Scripture from John about how to deal with jealousy, and that's the first one. The second one is that rather than letting jealousy steal his joy, which jealousy, of course, is about comparing ourselves to others, what if, like John, we found joy not in being better than others, but by pointing out how great others are? What if we found joy when we feel jealous? What if, what if instead, of the, instead of letting that fuel a lack of joy in our life, we let it fuel a desire to, well, I should point out how great that person is. I should brag on that person. I, I should let other people know how, how wonderful they are. What if it became kind of our theme of life not to be jealous about other people, but when people see us, they know we're the kind of person that likes to brag on other people and point out how great they're doing. And celebrate with them the good things God has given them in their life. See, this is what John does. Uh, he says, he says uh, in verse 29 of chapter 3, he compares himself to the best man at a wedding. He says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. Now, part of the language of Old Testament scripture, as well as new is that the bride is understood to be God's people in the Old Testament, the Jewish people, and the church in the New Testament, still God's people, right? Uh, The groom, or the bridegroom, same idea, is compared to God in the Old Testament, Yahweh, and Jesus in the New Testament, still God, right? So you have this interesting way of comparing uh, a bride and her groom to God's people and God. And so that's, I think that's what's standing behind John's comment here is he says, look, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. What's he saying? These disciples that are following Jesus belong to Jesus because Jesus is God. They're his. They're not mine. They're his. Right? So, so that's what he's pointing out to them. But listen to what else he says. He says, Not only that, but the friend who attends the bridegroom, that's the best man, waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. He's saying, I'm like that best man. Now, if you went to a wedding and the best man or the maid of honor is taking front and center stage and making it all about them, that's not right, is it? Maybe you've been a part of something like that. I hope not. But man, what, how terrible would that be? If someone else thought this is about them. And John's saying, no, no, no. I, I'm like the best man. I just want this thing to go well. And in fact, that was the job of the best man in, in their culture. In, in that specific culture. Very specific area in which we're talking about here. But that was the best man's job. He was to make sure the wedding went really well. And everything went smoothly. And he's saying, that, that was my job. And my great joy is not that the bride would be making eyes at me. Not that the party would be revolving around me. My great great joy in life is that the bride and the groom are center stage. That's, That's my joy. Is someone else being in the spotlight. Now I think that came from a deep place in John's heart. That he was joyous 
that Jesus was taking the spotlight, taking center stage, and he was backing off of that stage. I think that came from a, a, a place deep in his heart, and he really meant it. But i got to tell you, sometimes you're going to have to do that, and you won't feel like it. And that's okay. If you wait to feel like celebrating someone else of whom you may be jealous, you probably never will do it. But what if you said, I don't have to feel like it to be obedient to God's word? This is an overarching truth, okay? It's to be obedient to God. You do not have to feel like being obedient. You can just choose to be obedient, right? And there's something about putting someone else in the spotlight, celebrating someone else, magnifying someone else, honoring someone else that just helps kill that joy or kill that jealousy thing in you. There's something about that that will just help, you know, chip away at that struggle with jealousy that you and I have. So when you're jealous of someone, what I would encourage you to do is find a way to brag on that person even when you don't feel like it. To spotlight them even when you don't feel like it. And I bet if you do that consistently over time, you will start to experience a lessening grip of jealousy on your life. And I think you'll also start to experience what John experienced was that, man, it just brings joy to my heart to see someone else do great and to just celebrate them. Some people it's going to be easy. But some people it's going to be hard to do that for. But that's okay. Do it anyways. Because at the end of the day, you're going to honor God. You're going to honor them. And guess what? You're going to chip away at the jealousy thing in you, which will only help you increase your joy. I'm, I, I thought of this verse as we're going through that. This, I think, perfectly encapsulates uh, John's heart, but it also is, is clearly about Jesus. But it's written to us as well. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, we read, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Don't do anything that says, let me have the spotlight. Look at me. Pay attention to me. Children do that. And that's part of where they are in their maturation process. But that's a child. And if you're no longer a child, that's really no way to live. To live that way, to act like a child when we become jealous, all we're doing is, is giving up our own joy. Do nothing out of vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking out for your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Philippians 2 is a great chapter. If I could just like segue for a second and say, maybe jealousy is a big deal for you right now. And you're really struggling with that. Read, meditate on, and study Philippians chapter 2. Let that work itself into your bones. And I think it will help tremendously. Some things we can learn from John when it comes to dealing with issues of jealousy. The first one is know who you are, who you are not. What God has called you to do, what he's not called you to do. And celebrate that God, has, God is the one who stands behind that. The second thing is, even if you can't initially take joy in it, over time you will find joy in putting other people in the spotlight. 
and celebrating them. And the third one comes uh, from John chapter 3, verse 30, the verse I'm working on memorized. He must become greater, I must become less. That is humility. Humility is saying it's not about me. Jealousy is saying it's all about me. When I'm jealous, I'm thinking it's all about me. But when I'm humble, I'm saying it's not about me. And John had that mindset. It's not about me. This, is, this whole life that God has given me is not about me. This job, this assignment is not about me. Who is it about then? Jesus. And this is where I want to encourage you to, to cast your sights even higher. To say, I, I, I not only want to put other people in the spotlight, I want Jesus to be in the spotlight of my life. I want him that gets all the attention in my life. I want him to be center stage. And that is exactly how John felt. John wanted Jesus to become greater as he became less. Now, that wasn't a new thought to John. That had been woven throughout his ministry. At the very beginning, he would say, look, there's a guy coming of whom his sandals I am not even worthy to untie. When Jesus said, John, I want you to baptize me, John was like, no way, you should be baptizing me. This is, this is woven throughout his life is this idea that, that this Jesus, this Messiah, this Son of God, this Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world, it's about him. It's not about me. That humble mindset absolutely kills jealousy in our life. And the less we are susceptible to jealousy, the more we are susceptible to joy. And John found that it was his great joy to point others to Jesus. Why would that be so? What's, so? what's so great about Jesus? And I'm saying that because maybe you don't know. And I want you to know why this incredible guy, John, felt like, no, it's about him. If, if anybody in the world could say it's about me, I think John's on the short list. And he says, it's not about me, it's about him. Why would John do that? Why would John point to Jesus? Why should we point to Jesus? Because this Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and is the Son of God. Of, and that's a, a way of saying He is God in the flesh. I've heard, this, heard the term before, like Father, like Son. Jesus is like His Father. He is a divine God in the flesh. That God saw the world in need... And God entered the world to meet that need. Even when the need was our sin and when our sin was rebellion against him, he came anyways. To give his life that we may have life, eternal life. That God is worth putting at the spotlight in the center stage and building our whole life around him just as John did. And if we will do that, our joy like John's, I think, goes through the roof. And our jealousy does not control us if we make Jesus the center. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the testimony of John's life. God, what a servant. And yet your word tells us through the lips of Jesus 
even as great as he is. No man born of woman was greater than him, but every person who is in the kingdom of God is greater than John. We are in a position in your kingdom greater than even John was in this world because of what Jesus has done for us. And God said, help us to make him the center of everything. And God, I pray that and I know that jealousy can grip us. And I just pray for those who are struggling with that right now. God, that they would turn to you and ask for your help. They would take your word and and as your, as, it's, as your word says, hide it in their hearts that they may not sin against you. That, that they would wrestle with this issue of jealousy that they may be experiencing. God, so that Jesus can be at the center and so that their joy can increase. God, I pray that they would bring that to you as honestly as they possibly can. They could just share that burden of their heart with you t- right now. This very moment you will begin to lessen the grip of jealousy in their life because they are bringing it to you and you're helping set them free. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as always, we encourage you to respond to the Lord this morning in prayer and in song. So as the praise team leads us in this invitation, I just want to encourage you, you know, I'm hoping that, I'm not hoping you're jealous, but I'm hoping that if you struggle with jealousy, God has been bringing that to the forefront. And you're starting to sense that. You say, yeah, I am wrestling with that. And that this time of invitation will be a chance for you to talk to God about that. And if you need prayer about that or anything else going on in your life, I'll be down front. I'd love to pray with you. And uh, let's just respond to the Lord. Let's be faithful to him as he leads us, as we close our time together in a response. So stand with me as we sing this song together. If you need prayer, come forward.